we accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. We no longer live in a world of nations and ideologies, Mr. Beale. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. You're gonna go on without me. It's just go. A good soldier never leaves a man behind. Because I wouldn't give you two cents for all your fancy rules if behind them they didn't have a little bit of plain, ordinary, everyday kindness. Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome to Silver Screen Biases. Each week we pick a movie off of IMDb's Top 250 and dig into it. We're examining truth claims in critically acclaimed movies while also examining our own biases. I'm Nelson. This is Jeff. And this week we're going to be covering Lawrence of Arabia from what what year was Lawrence Nin- of Arabia? 1962. Well, La- Arabia has always existed, Nelson. I'm not going <laughs> to. And Lawrence, much much smaller time frame for Lawrence himself. But, yeah. He was but, World War, a World War One figure. Right. But the yeah. movie's from 1962? Yes, it was released in 1962. December, I believe, of 1962. 1962. And despite its close... Uh, actually, no, I, I'm mistaken. Um, due to its close release to uh, A Clockwork Orange, which we haven't discussed. We, we, we missed a, a week or two discussing that movie. Mm. Due to its close release to the to a Clockwork Orange, it actually does share some casting. Yeah. And I had it looked up. I don't have it pulled up anymore. I, I spaced that, unfortunately. An extra. Okay. Um, he actually is part of the Arabian Council in the latter half of the movie. Mm. He's also a character in the... He's part of the jail security in A Clockwork Orange. As far as, like, thematic overlap, what comes to mind for you right off the bat? I know you didn't prepare for this. No, yeah, no, um... It's one of my talking points for later on in this episode, oh. but but I, not specifically Clockwork Orange, but something that I do see as thinking about right similar is this idea of this identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and that's something that we just keep coming back. Right? Is this yeah. true? It's that's not specific to just these two movies. It's <laughs> very common in a lot of movies. But like, but this, but Lawrence of Arabia, which we'll get into later, a huge theme of identity within yeah. the character of T. E. Lawrence, like. And we'll, we'll discuss, we'll break. And down. also, um, two very different reactions to the realization that they enjoy violence. Um, very much so. So you actually see more of a, um, you see a more of a character arc in Lawrence of Arabia than you do in clockwork. If, if you, yeah. in my opinion, cause yeah. I mean, well, let's just talk about it real quick. T Lawrence, you know, starting out, he even, he's even quoted in saying, I don't like violence. And then by the end of it, you see him covered in blood, holding the knife, looking into this reflection on the knife again. Yeah. And he's changed. I feel like Alex was his name? Yep. Alex Delar. Yeah. I believe he always was a proponent of violence. Right. From when we meet him in the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't see his childhood. Childhood. But we know because of, we assume he's being sexually assaulted. We assume that he's just got some other traumas that we're introduced it's to. hinted anyway. Yeah. yeah that he's got reason to be violent, but whenever we see Alex, he's already a proponent of it. Yeah. So that'd be my, you know, my take on that. I, I don't think I noticed this at the time and it's kind of a thinly veiled innuendo. So we should have, but he takes a snake out of his drawers. <laughs> <laughs> he, he exposes a snake. Yeah. Out of his drawers. Out of his drawers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 
we're not here about a clockwork orange. We're what? here about Lawrence of Arabia. But before we even get into Lawrence of Arabia, yes. How you doing, Jeff? Man, doing well. This is this is exciting. We've we've broken. So this is episode twenty six for us. Yeah. So we have covered more than ten percent of the top two fifty. That's now. true. Tech, of the list we have frozen. Right. In time. Like obviously it's shifted and we'll talk about that later in a future episode. But like but um next episode actually it's gonna become relevant. Nice. But I just I'm so proud of us, man. We haven't missed an episode. We've actually added more episodes. Yeah. And we're we've we've we're over ten percent of we've we're kicking butt, man. So just I'm I'm loving this. Even though I did not like this movie. Mm. We'll get into that later. But like I just I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. And this has been fun. I'm I'm just I feel like we're just getting started with this thing. And I said, no, just, I'm feeling good sitting here looking at you and your cute little face. This is nice, man. How about you? How you been, man? You know, it's weird because as we've discussed, I'm on new medication for, for assistance with mental health issues. And, uh, that, that breaking period is rough and it kind of makes me more miserable. So like, uh, let's see, this is the 6th of July. And Hamilton came out on the fourth. Yes, episode the episode of Hamilton. Yeah. And when I finished the editing that episode, I was like, "Man, that episode, it's it's fine, it's it's a dud, but it's okay." Mm-hmm. And uh, we launched it, and on, within twenty four hours, I had uh, unsolicited feedback from a few people saying that they really enjoyed it, and that that's helpful, but also just kind of weird. Yeah. Um. See, I'm in a weird mental, in a weird headspace. Had some incidents where it's like, you know, when it rains, it pours. The yeah. uh, yesterday, the air conditioning went out in the van. The hot, no, not hot water heater. People get squarely with that. The water heater. It doesn't heat the hot water. Stopped heating the hot water. <laughs> just let the hot water stay. At yeah, its it's, just, it's a hot water holder. Hot water holder. <laughs> uh, we repair the the water heater. But the air, AC on the van's still out. And it was 91 degrees yesterday. It was 91 too. degrees it was a yesterday. Bad day for it to go out. And I didn't put the windows down because I was just waiting for the AC to kick in. So instead, I was like <laughs> a puddle of sweat in my van. <laughs> Remind me not to sit in the driver's seat. And then uh, backing out of my driveway, I managed to catch with my the front of the van a uh, telephone pole and ripped out a headlight. And it was just one of those. Things just kept happening. Oh, and then my 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 battery on my phone doesn't hold a charge all day. Same. So I got a really great mobile charger, and I keep it charged and charge mm-hmm. my phone from it. And then yesterday, it couldn't decide if it was going to take an hour or, or ten hours to finish charging my phone. It was just like, just things kept happening, and I, I had this <laughs> feeling like, like things are happening to me, and I got all in my own head about it. <laughs> but like you. I'm I'm really enjoying this project. I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, watching incredible movies, d- having conversations with incredible people. Yeah, that's been it's been really cool. Yeah, and getting feedback also from from we've not discussed feedback on air yet. We've been encouraging feedback, and we've we've had a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of the feedback is just like friends saying, right. "Hey, great episode." Right. But one of the things we keep saying in our shows is tell us why we're wrong. Jeff uh, and I, I'm, I guess I'm addressing the audience now instead of you directly. Um, <laughs> we're so meta. We have opinions. We have biases. Everybody does. That's kind of, that's part of the point of the show. 
and we recognize that in a vacuum, when it's just the two of us chatting, or a guest who remarkably seems to align with me politically, even when you've invited them. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Brock. Yeah. He was such a great guest. That's, oh, that was that a good was movie. Such yeah. a fun such See a fun last episode. week's movie. Where was it going with that point? Uh, just guests. In the- but yeah, so, so, you know, when it's just the two or three of us chatting, it's really easy for us to be like, oh, obviously everybody agrees with us because everybody in the room agrees with us. But, you know, we, we want to hear dissenting opinions. One of the gr- greatest parts of the Jaws episode is Tom, a real close friend of mine, him and I just don't agree on much. <laughs> but we really enjoy each other's company. And so it was really great to have dissenting opinions. And we've got some. Some people have been some se- sending us some dissenting opinions. So uh, I, I want to start with one that we got from uh, Connor. Connor was our guest for um, Full, Metal Full Metal Jacket. That's right. What was the name of that episode? Full Metal Jacket. No. <laughs> um, welcome uh, to the Suck. Welcome to the Suck, yeah. So he comments on uh, on Instagram. He commented on our new episode announcement for our Hamilton episode a couple days ago. He said a lot of the founding fathers were in their 30s, which is why it still annoys me that we always elected old men as presidents. Mm. Jefferson called slavery a moral depravity and had and a hideous blot on the ideals on the new nation. He actually wrote the abolishment, abol, abolishment. Ugh. Of slavery into the Declaration. Words is hard. Yeah, and that's not his error. That's mine. Uh, <laughs> abolishment of slavery into the Declaration, but had to remove it because a lot of the colonies had an economic interest in keeping slavery, and he knew they wouldn't ratify it if he kept that clause in. Now, from our conversation on Braveheart, I think that you and I, Jeff, can both agree that compromising on your values is a moral failing. Yeah. Yeah. That said... I think it's important to also recognize that an, an attempt was made. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Connor, for bringing that to our attention. We also have from uh, Mike commenting on our Citizen Kane episode uh, with Zach. That w- he was a great guest. I hope to have him again in the future. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, uh, by the way, Zach, on your recent nuptials. marriage, on your nuptials. Yes. Very happy for you. Uh, he comments that uh, Kane. Uh, he believes was modeled after William Randolph Hearst of newspaper fame. I asked ChatGPT, "Hey, was it?" And and yes, partially. But Citizen Kane, or or uh, I can't remember his first name. Something, whatever his name is, Kane was an amalgamation of characters, and some of them were uh, William Randolph Hearst, uh, who was a newspaper magnate, Samuel Insull, I N S U L L, a prominent utilities magnate. Harold McCormick, an executive of the International Harvester Company, and and a handful of others. And in fact, I think in that episode we talked about some of the the larger than life characters of yeah. the Industrial Revolution that that uh, he kind of evoked imagery of. Mm-hmm. And the last bit of feedback here, and this one uh, came in today. So, and I don't believe you've seen Ooh. it because it came by email. Email. What's that? It's short for electronic mail. Similar to electronic females or sex bots. So Joel and Joel asked us to not include his name, his last name. So I will not be saying that Joel's last name is Joel says Jeff and Nelson. I've been listening to past episodes and really enjoy your podcast. Thank you, Joel. 
You two have a fun chemistry, and my interest in faith, politics, and movies makes it a highly entertaining show. Thanks, and keep putting these out. We intend to. That said, I have a beef with all three of you on the Full Metal Jacket episode, and came here to tell you that you're all wrong about some of the elements in the story or its impact. First, Connor suggested soldiers don't care about the politics of war. They just have a job to do. In my experience, this is a way. It, this is way off base. I was in the army from 2003 to 2009, and there were a lot of strong opinions about the war in Iraq, both pro and con. I knew soldiers who deserted out of a strong moral conviction against the war. I knew a soldier who, after my first deployment, filed as a conscientious objector and was granted an early discharge from the army. I also knew officers who shared op-eds from neocon writers with their subordinates, and encourage leaders to read them to their troops. There's a lot of apathy in the ranks when it comes to politics, like you might find with civilians who tend to be uninformed or disengaged. But to say that no one has strong views runs completely counter to what I saw. It seems fanciful to think that a million service members may be expected to fight and die overseas, and they'd have no subjective opinions about any of it. Second, you're all wrong on the propaganda issue with military partnerships in war films. I appreciate Nelson's visceral opposition to tax funds being used for that purpose, but that's less offensive than the impact of propaganda itself. There was some back and forth between you three related to the impact of Top Gun on Navy recruitment, and certainly there's good reason to think that's problematic. Anecdotally, I saw some of that. In basic training, the Joel Sergeant asked everyone... How many of you are here because you saw Black Hawk down and want to be rangers? One, maybe two hands went up in a platoon of 50. Wow. But even if more people joined after watching war films, that's still less dangerous than the biased storytelling that the Pentagon's influence has over popular entertainment. Consider the Green Berets, John Wayne's contribution to the war in Vietnam or Vietnam. It was overly, sorry, it was overtly focused on building popular support for the war. It portrays American troops. Let me try that sentence again. <laughs> it portrays American troops as selfless heroes, literally in the mold of the iconic John Wayne archetype. There are no war crimes portrayed by the good guys. There are only one-dimensional characters with no doubt as to the justice of their cause. At a policy level, there is no criticism or even an antagonist in which to develop contrasting character. It's just a series of vignettes with tortured dialogue to drive home the virtue of the U.S. In more recent years, we have Lone Survivor and 13 Hours, which are very loosely based on actual events. They both ignore inconvenient context and play very loose with the facts, giving audiences an unrealistic perception of the conflicts or the reasons behind them. We also have totally fictionalized stories like Jack Ryan and 24, which lionize the elite forces and make heroes out of intelligence agents, which reinforce the narrative that while sometimes bad actors cause problems, at the core, the institutions they represent are good and deserving of our support and loyalty. Propaganda isn't bad because it leads some young people into the military. It's bad because it reinforces the perspective of the state for the benefit of the state and its political aims. It's not good for a young man who has no life experience or hard lessons 
to join the army because he saw Black Hawk down and wants to be a ranger. But it's much worse if that boy's uncle and teacher and pastor, all adults who ought to know better, saw a lone survivor and uncritically accept the premise that America is the good team and anywhere it chooses to invade is for a good reason. Thanks again. I appreciate your podcast and look forward to hearing more. I love that. I, I mean, my initial reaction is just, I, I love to, I just love that we have someone that's invested in us, like to give that detailed of a very response. thoughtful answer. I, yeah, I need to, I need to read it a couple more times mm-hmm. and then, and to break it down and, and to, to, to just digest it. But like, I, I just, I love this interaction. I thank you for that. What, uh, Joel was his name? Joel. Joel. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Like, and I, I, already, yeah. I emailed Joel a response thanking him for, it was a very thoughtful response. Yeah. He clearly took time and he no, really wanted it's... to make sure. And, um, one of the things I said is a lot of what he had to say there was things that we discussed in yeah. the episode. Right. And a lot, a lot gets cuts from our episodes. Yeah. Um, we have to trim some stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just because the point is too muddled Yeah, or it's a good point, but it's in a long pointless rant. Usually mine. <laughs> I tend to be much more critical and cut a lot of my own stuff than other people's. No way. But I, I also w- got his permission before we read this as well. And I also got his permission to share that email with Connor. So Connor actually has a response to Joel. And I'm going to read that now. Connor says, and this is a quote. I never said soldiers don't have strong political opinions. Most of us can't stand the government. I was simply stating that in situations where bullets are flying, not one single person is worried about what party you subscribe to. That's when it's about the guy to your left and right. That's all that matters. Sure, service members are going to talk during their downtime. Being as part of all of all branches. My point was that Kubrick turned these Marines into caricatures of the way they'd really be acting, and that took me out of the movie. Also, I'd have to go back and listen to my exact wording, but I certainly did not mean to imply that service members don't have a vested interest in the politics of war. The politicians directly determine where we go. And indirectly, if our friends live or die, of course we'd be invested. I I love that. This is now for my own for my own basis of response to Joel. Like I I strongly agree with everything Joel said here. Uh, in fact, I was recently having a conversation about the nature of propaganda with a, a good friend of mine, and I was asserting that propaganda is bad. Yeah, uh, and that. Almost all of the wars we've gotten into, with limited exception, we've gotten into because of propaganda. And and he's asked, is propaganda bad because it gets us into war? And I hadn't really considered the question of, is propaganda in and of itself bad? So I said to him at the time, I can't say if propaganda is bad, mm-hmm. because I haven't really considered it. But propaganda that gets us into war is bad, because these are wars that we wouldn't be in otherwise. Right. And loss of life especially young life is tragic every time. Yeah. And lo- and in war it's often the young young men and women that lose their lives and give their lives uh often for for reasons that they disagree with or don't understand. You know? Yep. And in the uh in the situation of conscription oftentimes directly object to. But in taking a little bit more time to un, to, to kind of like process what propaganda is propaganda is dishonest always 
it's a narrativized either highlighting specific details and downplaying others, sometimes fabricating details, uh, to drive a certain political agenda. And that's dishonest. Right. I think that people uh, should people have a right to the full context when making decisions. And uh, I, I think that's one of the great advantages of the internet, actually, is that it's really leveled the playing field on access to information. Yeah. If you want, you have the ability to fact check yourself versus just taking the word of what's being promoted to you on screen or. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter has a lot of, a lot of faults. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that he's really done poorly in my opinion. But one of the best things he's done is he's replaced fact checkers with community notes and just anybody can fact check now. Right. And so we've got like people fact checking the president and saying, hey, uh, you said that we've never defaulted on a loan. That's not true. Here's an article showing all the different times we've fact- we defaulted on loans. And and that, I think, is has been a, an incredible movement forward in access to information because mm-hmm. you don't have to go look for it now. Right. Other people are doing that work for you and saying, hey, here it is right now. You, you just have all you have to do is click. And you, can, you too can be familiar with the, the subject matter. And um, you too can also prevent forest fires. Yes. So and just uh, checked. Yeah. So, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, man. Yes, Lawrence of Arabia. First of all, thank you for sharing with that, Nelson. And I, we hope to do more updates in, with that in the future. Um, as we get more interaction, we would love for you guys to interact with us. Please, we do not claim to be experts on any of this stuff. We just want to be the start of a discussion. Yeah. So um, thank you so much, Joel. Thank you, Connor. Um, thank you for everyone else who's reached out. Um, and uh, on, on YouTube, we have gotten a fair bit of an interaction from one particular person, but I'm not going to read any of his stuff because he's actually going to be our guest next week. Nice. And so he can come on and speak for himself. Beautiful. Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. 1962. This movie is three hours in approximately 38 minutes long, depending on if you count the intermission or not. Uh, directed by David Lean. And the rating of this movie is approved. We've had a couple of these now. Mm. Just a couple of things about the director, because I wasn't familiar with the name. He's directed uh, Dr. Zhivago, which is a pretty... Yeah. I'm not familiar with that movie, but I know I've heard of it. Yeah. So I know it's prominent in Bridge Over River Kwai, which is on the top 250. Yeah. So I know this name will come up again. Um, some notable cast in this movie, Peter O'Toole. Um, he voiced a character in Ratatouille. That's the only thing that I've recognized from. I Okay, so... When I first saw his name, I tried to connect him to Annette O'Toole, who played in one of the old school Superman movies and then played um, Martha Kent in the Smallville series. Yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, they are unrelated. He is Priam, King of Troy from the 2004 movie, Troy. Oh, see, I've never seen. Yeah, I was, I was unfamiliar with that movie, so it didn't, yeah. it didn't catch my eye. Um, then the other notable cast member that I recognized was Alec Guinness. Yeah. Um, our good, he was also in Dr. Zhivago under... Yeah. Um, David Lean's directing, but uh, he's a uh, old Ben, yeah, old Ben Kenobi. That's true. Yeah, from the uh, so Star Wars I stuff. saw his name in the credits. I know who Alec Guinness is. Right, I didn't recognize him in the movie. Who was he in the movie? He was. Uh, what's his name? Hold on. Yeah, I know this. He played Prince Faisal. Faisal. Oh, really? Faisal? I'm gonna. I, I'm he was gonna Prince Faisal. Faisal. There it is. Yes. And you could I heard t- he went west. You could tell it was his voice. <laughs> That's Fifel. That was Fifel. Um, You could tell it in his voice. I knew immediately. Um, yeah, I could tell it was Obi-Wan playing 
Prince Faisal. So that's neither here nor there. IMDb. 8.3 out of 10. I think it's interesting, though, with Alec Guinness, the two characters we know him for mm-hmm. are both desert nomads. Right. <laughs> now, Alec was very familiar with this character. And he actually been, he, he played um, T.E. Lawrence. Lawrence in a Broadway or some sort of play yeah, performance. Yeah, I saw that. And he wanted it. But at the time of this movie, and he, they were like, you're too old. Yeah. So, um, so Guinness was very invested in this film and in the character of T.E. Lawrence. Now, I know you and I discussed this, and I think it made it into one of our episodes, but I'm not entirely sure. Probably. In The Young Adventures of Indiana Jones. Okay. Yes. I was going to ask you about this because I don't recall. I remember you telling me in like a passing. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so yeah. How does this movie cross over with Indiana Jones? So in The Young Adventures of Indiana Jones, a TV series that you can currently watch on Disney Plus. Yes. Below. In the first episode, we're getting, we get kind of a, a montage of sorts of his adolescence. Indies. In the, Indianas, yeah. Or like the Hen- Jones. Henry Jones Jr. And in one of the moments of it, it's him meeting famous archaeologist T.E. Lawrence. Really? It's in just a quick little scene. Yeah. Okay. So that puts Lawrence of Arabia inside... The Indiana Jones-averse. That, that's not Which surprising. is part of the Star Wars-averse. Right, because of, you know, Obi-Wan. Um, <laughs> that's true. No, uh, not because of that, but because in, in one of the two Indiana Jones, I think, it's not two, there's, there's five. There's five now, yeah. One of the Indiana Jones movies, I think it's the second one, might be the third one. There's a carving uh, on a wall that has C-3PO R2 and C-3PO. And, oh, yeah. So it's canon, yeah. Um while, while we're on it, before I finish stats here, let me bring up my other screen here. In my research for this film, I found out that some other actors have played T.E. Lawrence. It brought up a movie that I'm not familiar with at all, but it brought up an actor I'm very familiar with, Robert Pattinson. In 2015, a movie called Queen of the Desert came out. It's not a well-rated movie, but Robert Pattinson plays T.E. Lawrence. I don't know how much of the movie, if it's just a quick scene, but it's a well, but, but this character has come up again. And it is a historical character. So I don't think we've said that yet in this episode, but T. Lawrence is a historical character that existed during this time. This is based. So is Indiana Jones. That's not true. Um, but yeah, so just so since since we brought up just the, the universe, this is not the only time that T. Lawrence has been depicted on screen. Yeah. However, I've I don't I've never seen Queen of the Desert. I don't know anything about this movie, so I don't know if it's even in like a characterization type of thing. But but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Now, as far as historical figures, this is not the first movie we've done about a historical figure. In fact, the last three movies we've done have all been about historical figures. Prove it. Braveheart. Yes. Which was William Wallace. Yeah. Hamilton. Yes. Which was about Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah. Which was about uh, uh, Shelby and Enzo Ferrari. Right. Yeah. Ford and Ferrari. Uh, Um, So. Oh, yeah. How to Train Your Dragon was not based on anything. Historical character. Prove it. So you're right. So it's just the last. <laughs> now, I I don't know if that's the entirety of movies we've done that about historical figures. Uh, I can tell you, but real quick. certainly the last that that's an interesting um, trend over the last several of them. Uh, Into the Wild. Oh yeah, that's um, a big one. Citizen Kane, sort of. No. Schindler's List, definitely. Yes. Um. Yeah, that's it. That is it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, oh, Die Hard. Right, 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 right. The Christmas biopic. Yeah. Biopic. <laughs> um, 
to the grave. <laughs> Probably Into the Wild is the movie that we've done so far that's a like based on a real character that's the closest to a adaptation of of what really happened. Even that is educated guesses from private investigators. Right. One trend we've seen with all of these is that it condenses greatly the time frame of events to right. from from several years to just a a, a short time frame. Mm. But by all accounts, Lawrence of Arabia is very close to the what we know happened, but what we know happened is based off of T. Lawrence's own writing. Right. And he was a very animated character. Well, yeah. a person in general. So could he have embellished? Could he have? I mean, history does document the way that the events played out. Yes. As far as his specific perspective it, and his involvement. In, it's undeniable. To quote Hamilton, sometimes we weren't in the room where it happened. Right. So like, we don't know how some of those interactions. Yeah. So, so yeah. It is right. undeniably true that he was incredibly influential in the Very Arab charismatic. revolt. The degree to which he organized the Arab revolt, we don't really know. Right. Now, I, I was I was kind of getting hung up on this a bit. So as you and I discussed earlier, Jeff, I made a strategic error in my day in listening to a six-hour episode from a history podcast. Was it intentional about the episode we were filming or was no. it just – Okay. So it wasn't like you were doing research. Nope. It was just, okay, strictly pleasure. But it, but it was it was just – Not pleasure. It was not pleasurable. I mean, it's really well done. It's linked below. But it's about like race riots in the 60s mm. and 70s. It was just hard. Mm. And I kept waiting for it to turn around and it never did. It's talking about kind of the, the race war specifically between the Jewish population and, and the black population in, in like the 50s and 60s and 70s. Mm. And the Jewish population was very uh, liberal, very pro-civil um, rights. And, and they were trying to help the black population with civil rights issues, but the black people became very resentful of this. Mm. While I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about Lawrence of Arabia. And there is a bit of a narrative right now in American culture where we have kind of this uh, idea of like this white knight syndrome, mm. where you've got these affluent white people instructing the minorities on how best to go about navigating a particular situation. We had that a lot in the civil rights movement where we had affluent, very well-educated, very well-meaning white liberals attempting to help minority populations navigate civil rights issues and the civil rights. And and, and then the black leadership is just like, get out of our way. Stop trying to help us. We can do this ourselves. And so think about Lawrence of Arabia, that resentment is in this film a bit. Mm -hmm. but it's not as much as you'd expect. Right. And so then my wheels were turning about like, well, what other movies have we seen this in where it's a bit of a reversal of roles? And the only one I could think of, and listeners, if you, if you know of others, please let me know, um, is 13th Warrior. Have you ever heard of that? No, I'm familiar with the 12th one, but okay, I didn't know it went on to the 13th. So the 13th Warrior is a really bizarre Antonio Banderas film. Oh. Antonio Banderas plays an Arabian prince. So in this film, it opens up with 12 Vikings come to the Saudi prince and say, hey, let's trade. And then they actually ask the Saudi prince to send somebody with them 
like on their journey back because they have these marauders and they need help. So Antonio Banderas playing a, a Saudi Arabian or an Arabian. I don't know the politically correct. I don't know the the way to. No, it's not even about political correctness, but just a respectful way to say this. So, yeah. so I apologize if I offend anybody. But he plays an Arabian prince. He goes back with these Vikings, and he is the instrumental thing that turns things around and and really helps these Vikings uh, fight off their marauders. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, it's 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 really a reversal of that trope. I don't even know if that trope is real. It might just be that we're we're currently being narrativized to believe that there is this trope that's real right. and resent it. I don't know if that's true. But 13th Warrior is the only exception I could think of okay. where it's a very big reversal of roles. And I don't know why I got on that rant. I loved it. It's way off it's course. Your, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. It's true. 8.3 out of 10 on the IMDb Top 250. Um <laughs> <laughs> As we record this, it's number 96 in the top 250. And um, Rotten Tomatoes, the little last of my stats here before we get to budget, 94% tomato meter, 93% audience. So, yeah, um, the budget. Do you have the budget? Yes, I do have budget. Before I get to budget, I want to talk a little bit about the history of this on the top 250. All out. So, uh, Lawrence of Arabia came out in 1962, decades before IMDb existed. It has always been in IMDb's top 250. Um, it debuted at 96. Oh. Uh, nope, sorry. It debuted in, in 1996. Oh, that, uh, okay. It debuted at, at 26. Oh, wow. It then went up to 18 and has slowly, slowly slid down. In January 2021, it was down all the way to 115. Hmm. And it's jumped up since then and has sit around 95, 96 since then. Hmm. It briefly got below 100, but but not for long. Yeah. So um, this movie's been in the top 250 for a very, very long time. And uh, judging by where it sits now, it will continue to be in the top 250 for a very long time. It'd take a while to knock it off from yeah. its longevity here. Um, what you got for the budget? Estimated $15 million in 1962 dollars. Jeff, take a stab at what percent inflation have we had since 1962? Um, with my educated experience and all the research I've done, I'm going to say 23%. 23? Yeah. You're really close. It's 907%. Uh, so that would be $151 million today. Huh. I need more research. <laughs> Oh, our writers are still on strike. Um, no, I, oh, is that holy, is that actually still happening? Are yeah, the writer strike? strike is still going. That's okay. Well, that's not crazy for a movie. This and um, uh, I mean, almost all the speaking cast are are white men who've been uh, make up to, to look who they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But there are exceptions to that. A few of them were overdubbed. I could tell. Um, just because I, I assume their accents were too thick uh, to make it. I, I think the movie at least attempted to be very respectful of Arabian culture. And according to IMDb, um, just to cite my source here, yeah. this movie has no woman, women in speaking roles. Oh, thank it is reportedly the longest movie not to have any dialogue spoken by a woman. Wow. 
No wonder it's in the top 250. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. I do not. I Nelson does not speak for me. Um, I I believe I speak for both of us when I say. (laughs) (laughs) Lawyer, please. Um, Wow. So, okay. Initial reaction. Do you ever seen this movie before, Nels? Let's talk about the movie now. I know that my dad, I was 12. My dad said, ooh, Lawrence of Arabia. I think he was like skimming through like uh, movies on cable. It's like, ooh, Lawrence of Arabia. This one's great. And as you might expect for a 12-year-old and at a movie this pace, I had no interest. No. So I knew that it was based off of a man that actually existed. I knew that he was a British officer that uh, inspired the Arab Revolt. That's really all I knew. In fact, I didn't know if it was World War One or Two. And I'm actually so unfamiliar with the subject matter that I don't know why the Turkish Empire was involved in World War One. Like that's that's how little I knew about this going in. Yeah, I knew zero. Honestly, like when I think of Arabia, I think of like Aladdin and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything about the historical context. I knew nothing about this going in. I looked up the trailer. I think at the end of recording last week's episode, and um, I that was my first introduction to it. So very unfamiliar and still even after watching it and watching some YouTube videos and just kind of reading some articles and stuff like still very unfamiliar with this, this time in history or this, this puzzle piece of history that was happening during, you know, pre and during world war one, my initial reaction was like for if it was very dry. Yeah. Like I know it was a desert that wasn't even an intended pun, but like, just like, there were some cool shots cinematically, some, but like, I mean, again, I'm 33 years old. I'm used to modern cinema now. Like it's not the best thing I've ever seen on screen. And it's definitely not the best acting I've seen on screen. Like there was nothing about it that set it apart, even as it's dated. And for a four hour movie, I felt like it shouldn't have been as choppy as it was. Like, I feel like if you're gonna take four hours to tell a movie, it should be like, there were some moments where I thought it was just choppy. Like jump, like it just jumped to the next. Like just, I struggled. So like, I was not, I was, I was underwhelmed with this movie. Um, and honestly, the movie before the intermission, yeah. that could be its own movie. You could end it there. That's a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's got the whole arc and everything. Yeah, I yeah. really, really. And the intermission is not at the the direct center. No, it's a little past. It's, it's, center. it's essentially the last third. Also, the last third of the movie is, um, is where the intermission is. I. The first like five minutes of the movie, it's a black screen with music. Okay, so that, I, that was supposed to be there. Yeah, okay. I thought that there was something wrong with the stream. I did, and too. so I, I was on my computer. Then I switched to the TV. Then I switched to my phone. I was like, "Oh man, this is like what's what's going on with my yeah. internet right now?" And then I skipped like ten minutes in, and I was like, "Oh, okay." I did too. I did too. And I, then, then uh, I went back. So then you got like five minutes of just like black screen with music, and then you have opening credits, and. Man, I'm so glad the trend of long opening credit scenes is over. I I hate it. Not for us, though. We've still got plenty more movies probably with that trope in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I that was, yeah, I had the exact same reaction at the beginning, the just black screen opening. Um, was there initially, was there anything that you did like about the film? Just even just entertainment value, not even necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was really impressed with how, um, sincere an attempt they made to be really respectful of Islamic Arabian culture, nomadic culture. I know that for writers, directors, and and 
film crew who aren't steeped in that culture, that's going to be a hard thing to pull off respectfully. Yeah. And not being Arabian, not being Muslim, I don't know how well they did. Right. But I can tell that they really tried. Yeah. Actually, at one point, when they first start riding camels, the camels have these long tassels at their sides. And I was watching that. I was like, is that a Western conception of what they do? Or do they really do that? They really do that. I was like, okay, well, is it cosmetic or is it functional? Because it seems weird to me that a nomadic culture would have anything that wasn't functional. Yeah. In fact, throughout the movie, you see their robes being used in functional ways apart from just cosmetic. Right. So, yeah, apparently the long tassels on the sides of the camels work a lot the same way that horsetails work, where because there's that the constant movement, it keeps flies away. Hmm. So less irritation for the camels, also um, less disease for the camels. Hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. I, I, I feel like there was a lot of attention paid to detail that they really wanted to get it right. Right. And it, it did, the scale of this movie was huge. Yeah. I did appreciate the vastness, like, and they filmed on location. Mm-hmm. Like the, and there was actually in the 60s. So I got a little note here again, this is from IMDb. The movie spent two years in pre-production before they, the 14 months of shooting took place. So this movie was over a three year process mm-hmm. and, but they filmed on location in, um, in Jordan, Spain and Morocco. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated just that. Like, like even though I wasn't enjoying it, it cinematically or entertainment wise, I could see the authenticity of it and the rugged terrain and stuff. Like it was. I, that I that was probably my favorite part about it was the on-site locations. Yeah, and that's um, that's probably where a, a lot of their budget went. In all the night scenes, I do know this um, again. IMDb, all the night scenes were um, filmed during the day. It's just a filter over it. Oh, so clever! Be, because of all the pitch black darkness in yeah. in the terrain out there. So I thought that was. I mean, it's pretty pretty advanced technology or advanced production for yeah. the '60s. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, but. Yeah, I just overall, I it was I I watched this in the mat in a matter of two days. I had to stop it. I wish I would have known there was intermission though, because I would have tried to make the first watch two intermission, yeah. and then watch the second part. But like, I split it about at fifty percent mark, and then I I, I started the next day. Just but like I, I couldn't I watch that it. I made it second. past the intermission, not by a whole lot. I also had to break it into two days. Yeah, I wanted to watch it all in one go but I had to leave the last hour for a second day because it, yeah. it, it's just a lot of movie to digest. Right. Yeah. Do you think that you'd be able to do the whole thing in one go if, if it was like a popcorn film? Like if you're just watching to watch, if you're not doing what we do? I don't know if this answers your question, but I've already thought about it. Would I watch this again? And I enjoyed my research about the film post watching it enough to where I would be intrigued to watch it again knowing what I know now about that time in history. Mm. Again, not so much expecting to fall in love with it or enjoy it entertainmently wise, but to now understand the story from front to back. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, but like I am interested in watching it again and I, I probably won't hear. Yeah. In, in the next month or so. I mean, it's, it's a lot of movie to watch. Again. Right. And I've got, we've got a bunch ahead of us. So like, yeah, I probably won't anytime soon, but like I probably will God willing, before I die, I'd, I would like to watch this again, now knowing what I know about the historical events and who he was. I did not know going into this that this was a real historical event. Okay. I, to me, in my mind, this could have been fiction. Right. And it wasn't until afterwards that I realized, oh, this was these are real events. Okay. If this were a work of fiction, then that White Knight narrative, like, it, it is insulting. Right. But knowing that this is a real guy that really existed right. who 
like a British man who came, fell in love with the culture, uh, was instrumental in uniting the Arab nomadic tribes in a revolt against Turkey, who had been dominating them for for uh, I think centuries. I'm really not terribly yeah, educated on that. Yeah, it just it, it's really it really is fascinating. As far as like cinematic, artistic stuff, right? And we don't talk about that very often, right? This is probably the most we've talked about. Well, we talked about it a lot with uh, Into the Wild. That's right. Because there's a lot of that in there. Right. But one thing that I noticed, kind of really like the only thing I noticed with this, um, was we open up with T. Lawrence getting in a motorcycle accident that takes his life. Mm. And the movie ends with him riding and watching ahead of him a motorcycle. motorcycle. Fly fly passes, yeah. uh, I picked up on that. And I thought that was interesting. Mm. I also noticed that, I know you said that the acting in this isn't, like it didn't uh, impress you, but here's something that I think if you th- if you contextualize it might. There's been a big shift in cinema over the decades. Actors act a lot more now, right? As George Lucas said, faster, more energy, and a lot of the acting in this is like micro expressions, where you as the audience have to. Do a bit of work in processing what's happening in this scene. What do they mean by that? There's a lot that gets that isn't said. Mm-hmm. That is that that's only on the expression of their face for like a moment. And like that's that, and, and to a degree, that's that's impressive acting. Yeah. There's a lot of show don't tell. There's, there's a lot of scenes where there's no dialogue. Yeah, and you're just you're just following little bits of. Um, action or a little facial expressions or reacting to something else. Yeah. There is a lot of moments where you're going on facial, facial expressions and stuff like, and I will say like, I'm again, I, this movie isn't fresh to me as far as like, I'm not watching it when it first debuted. And so like, I'm coming in with my own bias of like films that I'm familiar with that I'm accustomed to. Yeah. So I think that is a lot of the reason that I'm not impressed, impressed by this movie just because like, just I've seen I've, I've had better <laughs> to quote um, liar liar Jim Carrey I've had better like I just I yeah like nothing there, there's nothing in this movie outside the scenery that that stood out to me that's like this is unique I, I don't want to get it I'll get I'm not going to sum up my movie yet we'll, we'll, we'll wait till the end but like I have I have thoughts about this movie yeah as far as like where to go with it but um yeah just it was dry well, let's talk about some of the claims within the movie, about what the way the world is. Mm-hmm. So T. Lawrence gets sent on a mission to meet Prince Faisal to, quote, find out what kind of man he is. And that's something that we see in a lot of spy. He's, he's an intelligence officer. Yeah. We see that in a lot of kind of like spy and intelligence officer type movies and shows. And I've never really processed that. But the line is kind of bizarre when you think about it. What kind of man he is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a, a matter of the era or if it's because it's a purely like cinematic thing. I don't think about what kind of man people I know are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like it's, a, a, it's a very um Like if somebody said to me, what, what kind of man is Jeff? I don't know how that I'd know how to answer that question. Yeah. I don't know how I would want you to answer that question. Uh, he, him, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Start. <laughs> that's a, that's a beginning, I guess. Are people, yeah, people still do that. Yeah, 
is a man. I I have declared it. If that's what if that's what you have to do now, is it a declaration? I think. I don't. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't want to assume anything. My gynecologist tells me that it's up to me. So. That's exciting. Yeah. Big decisions coming for you. Yeah. Big stuff. Big stuff. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways. Um. Yeah. No. So, sorry. To con- so continue. Um. That's really all I had on that. Like I I don't even know where if. I don't know where I'd begin to answer that question. And then thinking about like, well, what kind of man is Prince Faisal? Mm-hmm. And then thinking about like that question in other movies and, and, and TV shows. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever heard the answer, the question answered. What do you, okay. Specifically talking about the movie. What do you think they were wanting to gain by knowing what type of man he is? Like political m- leverage, political leverage, military yeah. strategy, like, or like, N- no, war- no. Okay. Specifically, Political leverage. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. okay. So it, in no. his mind, initially, it wasn't even military or militaristic at that point. It was more governmental than it was. Military. Yeah. So he's a he's an intelligence officer. He's on loan to the Arab office. And you see him. He's he's, he's the first time we need him off the bike is when he's he's drawing maps out. So he's yeah. he's laying these foundations of like you know what what they know is terrain and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so that question of what kind of man is he, I think what they mean by that is how can we use him? Mm. What are his vices? Mm. What are his virtues? I think that's what that question means. Yeah. How can we turn him into an asset? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and that kind of goes, if you've got nothing else on that point, like that kind of goes into the thing that I brought up first of all, which is I think the biggest takeaway I took from this was we see in this movie a character arc of someone who had an identity experienced or went through an event where he was forced to face one of the things that he was against. You see him do it. You see him murder someone or execute someone. Then you see a little later on, he's talking about, he's debriefing about that a moment. And he's like, I liked it. And then by the end of it, you see him just struggling with his identity of like, and and not that it all falls on, murdering and taking life but just this idea of like his views on um warfare yeah his views on kid should like do leaders take lives do leaders save lives like like you you see his, him shift in that for me like the biggest like the main character is t lawrence like they're, they're, it's not like one of those ones where we're following two different stories. like we're following lawrence through the whole thing like it's, it's his story mm-hmm. and we, Although we, Sheriff Ali also has an arc. Yeah. And so does um, Abdu, Abu. Mm. No, not getting his name right. <laughs> the, the, uh, Abu's the monkey from the, the mercenary warlord who, um, according to what I looked up, he was a more. Uh, uh, Adu Abu, Anthony Quinn's character. Is that right? Adu Abu? A-U-D-A-A-B-U. Oh, I got I got both those names. Yeah. Nailed so, it. So in the, in the movie, he's portrayed as more of a warlord. According to historic record, he is a more solidified political figure. Yeah. But not not super relevant to the story. But but both Sharif Ali and Adu Abu both have character arcs in this. But they are not the main character. They're supporting cast. There's this idea of being put up against something that you're strictly against. Like I wouldn't say this movie is anti-war, but there's, there's definitely within Lawrence's character, there's reasons to not like war for how it affected him. 
even if that's not the main message that they're sending. Yeah. Because like you do, you do see like Lawrence, he becomes romanticized. Like once he, once he, he realizes the power that's in taking a life and in showing that sort of power over people, he essentially gets a big head about, and there's a moment, like, especially when that photographer's there and he's in um, Lawrence on top of the train Mm -hmm. and like, he's essentially at this, his peak character. Yeah. Like you see, you see this, how it's, it's, I don't want to say corrupted, but I also want to say corrupted at the same time. Like he's, he's not the same person he was at the beginning. No. And interestingly, that photographer gets, gets disgusted with Lawrence. Yeah. Despite the fact that that photographer's job (laughs) is to glorify war, to get Americans on board with entering the war. That's explicitly his role. And then he says to Lawrence, Oh, you rotten bloody man. Let me take your rotten bloody picture for the rotten bloody newspapers. Yeah. So like the, the, the journalist seems to get disgusted with war, but like his job there is to propagandize Americans into world war one. Yeah. 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 That the, the entrance of the journalist, which was the beginning of the second act after intermission, he's he's in the opening scene. That's right. That he's talking right. to the priest. I forgot about that's the, that I didn't even put that together that that's the one at the beginning talk Thank you, Nelson. He's talking to the priest, then he talks to the journalist. Yes. And then we don't see him till after the intermission. Right. That's I love that you connected that for me. Yeah, so it's going back to identity. Like I mean like and you see there's just a couple more symbolic moments that I picked up like um you see earlier on when he when he's first given that that white robe. There's there's a special name for the robes. I don't have it. But um but they give me it, it makes it it means that within the not the Hawatate because that's um Abdul Abdu Abdul Abu? Yeah. Yeah. I think if we're saying that. Uh Sharif Ali is of a culture of uh Arabian nomads that um they have a each each nomadic tribe has their own specific style, but Sharif is basically like count. Um so they make Lawrence like a, a chieftain of his own basically. And that's kind of a plot too. Is like the, he has no people. He's not Arabian and they make that clear, Yeah, but they treat him like one. Yeah. And he's, uh, according to the British, he's gone native, yeah. but they still treat him British. Right. And that, yeah. So, so the, he's got those robes. Yeah. He's, he's dressing as the people he's around. Mm-hmm. And then you see him, he takes his dagger, the, the, the nice dagger he's given. Mm-hmm. He looks at his identity in it. Adjust his hat. Adjust his hat. And he's like, okay, I'm assimilating. And then he prances around. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's scenes afterwards where he has this abundance of confidence that comes with it. Yeah. And then later on in the middle there, you know, um, we see him kill a guy. Brick killed a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's a great movie. Yeah, I ate a big red candle. <laughs> <laughs> I love lamp. Um, anyways. But you just... And then, then, then after, okay, they're, they're walking in that village and he's got the garb on and they walk past those military people. And right before he gets tortured, mm-hmm. he's like, he, he's so confident in his stature that he assumes that he won't get noticed as a non native. Yeah. You know? And then he immediately, they, they, they send the one guy off. Cause like, yeah, you're a native. And then, then, then that whole scene plays out where they take his shirt off. They, they pinch his skin. They're like, you're pale. Like it's like got blue yeah, eyes, you right. got blonde hair, and then they 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 um they assault him in the book. I believe it's described as that he's sexually assaulted. They don't really visualize that in the movie, but T. Lawrence but does. 
is, allude to some being sexual so, assault or and here's the other thing too um, in that scene i felt like that guy was coming on to him he's making eyes and not in a good way and also so in t.a lawrence's writings he uh, he speaks sympathetically to the struggles of at the time it was illegal to be gay in england Okay. And so he speaks sympathetically to that struggle of, of the, the gay man in England. We do not know what his proclivities were, but there are a lot of people who who suspect that he was homosexual. Uh, uh, T. Lawrence. Yeah. Okay. And I think that Peter O'Toole, intentionally or not, seems to portray him that way. He came off as gay in the film, I think. Mm-hmm. Certainly flamboyant. And dramatic. Very charismatic. Like, not not saying that that these are all specific gay characteristics. Yeah, but you put those all together. Yeah. Straight men you don't do... have charisma. Oh, that's how I know you're gay. Uh, uh, so you were talking about he gets tortured by the Turks right. in Lawrence's book. Which do you have the name off the top of your head? The name of his biography, autobiography. I I don't. I know that Lawrence of Arabia was what the media knew him as. Right. So while you're looking up, Lawrence T. Lawrence wrote his, his own autobiography, and he describes in that book sexual assault okay but from there you know like i don't know how much it was elaborated how much was factual you know like there's you can't there's not there's seven pillars of wisdom there it is yeah so um but yeah and then by the end and then you see you see him after that then you see him donning these this these these military clothes again but they don't fit him yeah so now he's back in british clothes it doesn't fit right. He looks. He looks out of place there. Yep. And then dons the robes again, and then by the end you they see him. They beg him to fight. Yeah. And then get disgusted when he's a warrior. Yeah. On one hand, you're sympathetic with Lawrence, and if if I can kind of connect this to another movie character, um, which we may or may not ever talk about, it's definitely not in the top two fifty. The Hunger Games, mm. which I believe we've talked about Katniss Everdeen before in an episode. Yep. The reason I don't like the that book series and movie series, Jennifer Lawrence did great in it. Like, it's because I, women shouldn't be the main character? No, it's her last name is Evergreen. That's only for trees. Everdeen. Everdeen, that's right. <laughs> Katniss Everdeen. Are you even a real fan, Jeff? I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. Um, <laughs> like, her whole arc, from my perspective, is Katniss's character never made a decision that whole movie, except to volunteer's tribute to save her sister. Yep. Everything after that, she's being manipulated. She's being coerced. She's being told what to do. She's become the propaganda. Not She's not choosing to be the propaganda. She's become the propaganda. And so in some of these moments, I, I kind of feel like in some moments, Lawrence is that person. Yeah. He's being pushed to one thing or another. And whereas he may be enjoying or not enjoying it, he has his, his natural reactions. There's some situations that he's placed in that are out of his control. So he's in not all of his decisions. Though. Some of them he charismatically, he confidently takes, yeah. but there are some moments where he's put in whether he wants to or not. And I kind of compare that to Katniss where she's like, I didn't choose to be a rebel. I didn't choose to start a riot. I didn't choose to start a rebellion. I just want to save my sister. Yeah. Everything after that was, was not the reason for my decision. Everything after that was because I felt like I had to, like it was my only choice. And I felt like, Lawrence had some of those moments. Yeah. Point, so point and close. The only clarification I'd make, you say that she didn't make any decisions, but that's not true. Well, obviously she made choices. Yeah, right. So I, I think, and I think it's an important clarification is that the choices she made 
did not have her full consent. And that that's a clarification with a difference, right? Because she could have chosen a, another thing that was was her full consent, but would have cost her more. Right, and and, and that's, there's a couple times like like her, oh yeah, oh, her choosing time. her choosing to save the dude at the end of the first movie, right? Obviously, but 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 then again, they immediately took that and said, okay, we can work with that. Yeah, like but, but, but you're and, right. so and the reason I make that clarification is because it's the same thing with T. E. Lawrence. Yeah, he he has Ooh. agency. T. E. Lawrence, the main well, character of Lawrence of Arabia, the movie that we're talking about right now. Oh, he okay. makes decisions. Right. There are there are decisions he chooses where he may have felt like he had he was trapped right. and had to pick two bad options. And so it might have not been full consent. Mm-hmm. But that's different than not making a decision. Right. Okay, no I agree. Now we 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 glossed over it and I really want to spend a little bit of time with this. Okay. This movie discusses race in a way that we haven't touched on yet. So pinching his skin, he says to Sharif Ali, this is the stuff that decides what he wants. He being a man, a person. Now, obviously, Lawrence is frustrated here. And and in frustration, we often don't say the things that we mean, but we do say the things that we feel, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. T.E. Lawrence may not actually agree with the statement, or even the character of T.E. Lawrence in the movie may not agree with the statement, but that is the way he feels when he says it. Yeah. So I want, I want to hear what you, your, your thoughts on this. This is the stuff that decides what he wants. What does that make you think and feel? Well, let me process this real quick. So the way I interpret that, um, open to rebuttal is obviously the physicality of pointing to his skin, pointing to, and so, so what does that mean? Heritage, genetics, socioeconomical class, geographic location, like all these things. Like you can, you can start making these assessments by just the color of your skin and stuff. And you can start to narrow in maybe where we're not they're from. And we see it. So I, in, and again, this isn't a one, one size fits all thing. So I think in some instances, I would agree with this. There are some things like we've been talking about that, like we are pre-exposed to, we are predisposed to, we are made to fit into this kind of mold, this piece of mold, as far as like, whether it is our race, our religion, our, our demographic, the street we live on, you know, there's things that happen that kind of make us who we are, whether we're intentionally seeking after that or not. So because of those things that happen and because of who we become, we make those choices based on our past, based on our heritage, based on even genetics. I'm starting to make I don't know if I've said this on air before, but I'm starting to make choices because of my genetics, because my, um, my dad has Alzheimer's, you know, and that is a super highly genetically. As we, as we understand it now. Right. Um, it, it, it it can go, it can be generational. Yeah. And so I'm starting to contemplate things that in genetically I'm predisposed to, like whether it's diet, whether it's environment, whether it's how I'm, you know, screen time, just all the big things or small things. I'm starting to try to make these choices that change my potential future. Specifically with Alzheimer's, the complicated thing with that is how little we know. Right. Right. So just, so going, so going back to the movie, like I do, I do feel like in some instances, yes, the skin we're in, 
the the face that I have, the the past that I have, the 13 years of education that I have that I I technically didn't have any control over. I you know, I went to school because I was told to. Like all those things that I did that I just I just did. Yeah, I think those are what decides my choices in the future in some instances instances. But I like again, that's not one size fits all. I think there are other times where it has nothing to do with where I'm from. This right. decision is based purely on where I'm going. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I, I hope I clarified that well. So, yes or no, genetics yes. is destiny. Oh, ooh, that's not that cut and dry. Um, yes sir. If I had to lean to one, if you're just asking me yes or no, which you just did, so I don't know why I'm questioning that. Oh, I. No. Yeah, I, I would agree. No. I think that everything that you've just said is entirely relevant. Our upbringing informs our decision making. And it informs our reactions. But reactions and actions are different things. Mm-hmm. And so, for for example, some of the most heroic figures from history are people who, despite their upbringing, despite their situations chose better things for themselves. Mm. But that's action, not reaction. And we have unimpressive people whose names we don't know because they're not worth knowing from all walks of life, including they had all of the upbringing to prime the pump for greatness. And they chose to react instead of act, and they squandered it all. So I would agree. Genetics is not destiny. But this statement... This is the stuff that decides what he wants. That is a claim that genetics is destiny. Yeah. I don't think it's black and white like that. Like nice because of race. Good. Right. Yeah. Well for, done. for sure. Um, Michael Jackson. Both black and uh, white. Yeah, both black, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but, like, but I just, it's never that cut and dry. It's never that simple. It's never desert. Yeah. Right. And but the, like the knife. You're, you're on a roll. Um, it's a Kaiser. Because of the Germans, <laughs> Kings Hawaii, World War One, Kings Hawaii. Um, yeah, like, like you're. It's not fully solidified there. Yeah, but, but but I mean, I but I would agree though. I mean, like we do. Just just like you know, like I'm trying to take in some of the things I'm doing with my life, and so like I'm trying to make choices that change. You know that that genetic destiny. You know, like obviously, like, and then we could even throw in science then too, because like you know now people can change genetics. Like, yeah, but there are some things down to our deep core, like our soul, mm-hmm. that I would also constitute as my flesh. You know, like, mm-hmm. like, and there are some things that, like, yeah, I make decisions because of who I am, because yeah. who I've been. Um, yeah. whether they're right or wrong, I make decisions because of that. You know, and then I learned from it. So hopefully earlier in this movie, the entire concept of destiny is challenged. Yeah. A couple different people say it is written. This is actually one of the actors where the actor clearly is is um, Arabian or Indian or or, or somewhere from that Mm -hmm. area of the world. And they've overdubbed his voice because you can tell that it's dubbed. It might even still be him in the dub. Yeah. Just it's overdubbed. Um, he gets stranded from the group when they're past when they're crossing this particularly awful piece of desert. 
and Lawrence decides to go back to rescue him. And they say the fact that he got separated is proof that he must die. It is written. And he decides to go back and save him anyway. And when he gets back, Sharif Ali says, Truly, for some men, nothing is written unless they write it. Then later, when they join up with Abdu Abu, or Abu Abdu, I can't remember. It's one or the other. And I feel like getting it wrong almost feels racist. Um, (laughs) Because it's so... Listeners know our intention. Yeah, uh, to be racist. Again, Nelson does not speak for me. Later, this character commits a crime where right. neither Abu or Ali can bring justice because it will offend the other group. Right. And so Lawrence brings justice. This is where you see him take a life. And he takes a life for the first time. And As later, a neutral third party. That's right. And later he says that he enjoyed it. Yeah. And he and, hated that he enjoyed it. And he it. hated that he enjoyed it. But this it's the same man whose life he just saved. And Ali says to Abu, you know, this is the man whose life he saved. And Abu says, well, it was written. And I think that's like the first moment in the movie where we're really pivoting towards, well, maybe there is destiny. And then when he's pinching his skin, this is the stuff that decides what he wants. I think Lawrence is at that point frustrated, giving up on the concept of I can I can make my own destiny. I know that you said early on a, a big theme of this movie is identity, and I think you're absolutely right, but I think also a big theme of this movie is destiny. Do we actually have agency? Do we get to choose what our life is going to be about, or yeah. is it all reaction? I would agree with that. You know, and not to be cliche, but like that goes hand in hand, you know? Who we are is where we're trying to go. <laughs> not, to try, not to sound like a, a fortune cookie. When people try to find who they are, yeah, it's usually because they want to go to, they want to achieve something that they see as a pinnacle of some sort. I'm being vague because that can mean many different things to many different people. Yeah. Like finding our identity. Finding what we're looking for. Right. Is it that, that ensues a journey and a journey means that there's a destination. So for us as a Christian, let's talk faith here for a second. My identity is in Christ. And so, and for what that means is like, I know that my future is beyond my, my specific life and death. My impact goes beyond my life and death, you know? And so, so my identity equals not just my destiny, but my legacy. You know, and maybe you can interchange destiny and legacy. Maybe, maybe that means, maybe those mean different. No, you're okay. You're shaking your head. Like and and I know they're they they mean different things. Yeah, because like but, destiny is this idea of the things that I will accomplish within my life, and even when I'm making decisions, it's because even when I'm making decisions that I think are pulling me further away from what will be accomplished in my life, it actually ends up pulling me closer to it. Destiny is a, a lack of agency, whereas legacy is what happens after I die. What I'm remembered for after I die. Gotcha. Yeah, you achieve destiny while you're still breathing. And even not really even achieving it. Like, it happens regardless of what you do. Gotcha. But a legacy is post-mortem. Yeah. Like, destiny is fate. You don't have a choice. Right. Um, but but I, I would agree, like, that, like, those are both, like, tied up in identity a lot. Now, you commented about pursuing what you want. How you leave a legacy. Right. And also to some... Uh, concept of how you achieve your destiny if, if there is such a thing as destiny 
the British general, or I don't know what his rank is, actually. He's asking Prince Faisal. No, not Faisal. Abu, why are you, why are you and your men going home? You've looted. And then I think it's really interesting with the looting. He says that even, you know, British soldiers get paid. I think that for Western cultures looking at that, that's a bitter pill to swallow. Is that there's not a whole lot of difference here. Right. He says, you know, I, I got what I want. I'm going home. And and then he says to him, when you've got what you want, you will go home. The officer says that, no, I won't. That would be like treason. But what the officer doesn't understand is that what he wants is to make the British Empire glorified in his actions. And so he won't go home before that's done. Right. Lawrence, what, what does Lawrence want in this film? Because he says, and Lawrence will go home when he gets what he wants to do. Right. What does Lawrence want in this film? I think what Lawrence wants, or it's portrayed that Lawrence wants, he wants a free Arabia. Early Lawrence did. Do you think, do you think that was his goal through the whole thing? Because you, you do see... I, you do see him go through a transformation, but do you think his goal is still the same, even as a a different mentality type of person? Yes, I, I do think that that's his goal throughout the film. What we see is a ch- a, a, a self loathing and disgust at his own bloodlust. Mm-hmm. But I think that he still wants a free Arabia. He just no longer thinks that he is suitable to help bring that about. Right. What do you think of that line, though? When you've got what you want, you will go home. Yeah. I mean, well, so yeah. So if I'm going to a concert, what I want is to be entertained. And when it's done, I'm going to go home. If I'm going to go to a restaurant, I want to get food. I'm going to go home. If I'm going to go to a baseball game, I'm going to watch a baseball game and come home. So yeah, it's like in general. Yeah, it's a very vague statement. You know, I haven't ate since the last time I ate. You know, like just just something we talked about that (laughs) earlier. So like if you look at something like faith, there are some things that don't have a specific ending, you know, like you and I, as Christians, we don't, there's not, there's not a, we've achieved it. We've, we've conquered, like we've, we've finished Christianity. Like, like that does, that's not up to you and I, you know, like, so for us, like there is no going to church. With Christianity, it's the inverse. When we go home, we have what we want. Ooh. Wow. Mic drop. Don't drop it though. It's a nice yeah, mic. Yeah, it's a good mic. Yeah. No, yeah, like, so yeah, so I don't think it covers everything, every aspect, which, you know, we've already talked about. There's just hard to blanket statement for everything, but like, but, well, yeah, let's no, try. Just, but <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but yeah, I just, in general, yeah. Like if I've achieved what I want to do, I'm going to go home afterwards. Right. Once I'm not going to stay at the ball field. Once you're satisfied, you stop trying. Right. Another one of those nothing statements, but this one's very common. Uh, it was in the last place I looked. Well, yeah, right. because once you found it, you stopped looking. <laughs> Another two here that I really want to go over. Okay. I'll let it. Three, actually. Three. Lawrence, talking to the Arabian Council, says, if you take en- English engineers, you'll take English government. And this is a warning. Yeah. Not specifically the English part, but just... You take the engineers, you'll take the government. Yeah. Yeah. As, as there are a, so many people that work behind the scenes and, and I lump engineers with like writers, researchers, like, like anyone that's doing the grunt work for the people that go up to the podium and stay, say would like, if you, if you get the, if you get the people that are working the hardest, yeah, the, the masterminds of all those things. Yeah. You take, yeah. And from my bias, once you concede that you need the American teachers, 
Mm-hmm. Well, that comes with everything that the American teachers comes with. Once you're convinced that you need that the the roads the government can can provide, well, then you're going to get everything that comes with the government as well. Once mm-hmm. you're con- like a- you pick any one thing that they that the state provides, and once you've decided that you need the one that they provide, the whole thing comes with it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's like taking the cornerstone out of something or like, like that block that's at the bottom of something that ha- it's holding everything together. Like, but interestingly, be, any given stone, part. any given stone right. can be the cornerstone. That's true. In, like, in this it, but it doesn't have to be the biggest portion of whatever that structure is. Like you remove it. It's you, you've, you've, you've ruined, even if you don't take it all out, you've ruined the stability. Well, so you may not take the government, but you've, you've wounded it. I, I, you, oh, I you, think it's you, yeah. I would say that that's true, but if we keep with the house parable, any given stone you take out, the the building stands. But interestingly, once you put one stone, you're going to put more stones. Right. Okay. Uh, jump into another quote. This is Ali talking to Abu. If I fear him who love him, then how much more must he fear himself who hates himself? I'm going to restructure that sentence because the do. grammar is complicated. Yeah, it's like King James Version. Yeah. If I, somebody who loves him, fear him, then how much more must he hate, the, must he fear himself because he hates himself? The first part of that. Yeah. Especially in the NKJ Version, the Nelson Yeah, that, that's a King fear version. Yeah. as respect. Right. Like, like, biblically, you know, we're only supposed to fear God. Like I, I don't have the scripture reference memorized, but like we're supposed to have this reverent fear of God. Yeah. Everything else. Secondary. Right. Right. So that first part, I'm like, yeah, I'm with it. The second part is where you lost me because I, I'm thinking in a spiritual perspective, like God doesn't fear himself. It's using, but he also doesn't hate himself. It's using right. two different uses of the word fear. I respect him because I love him, but he's afraid of himself because he hates himself. Right. So we're definitely not talking about God status. No. Okay. When we're talking about like the fear of the Bible, fear of the Lord, one of the best descriptions I've heard for that is the same way that without having a phobia of fire, Mm -hmm. you can still have a fear of fire. You respect it. You recognize that it's dangerous. Right. And I think that that's the kind of fear here. And, you know, I... I love him and I I am worried and understand the destructive power he has. How much more aware of his own destructive power must he have if he hates himself? Right. I kind of I kind of get this here, you know? Um yeah. the things that people come to appreciate about you can almost become your own uh weapon against yourself. Right. Oh yeah. I don't really have much more to say that. I agree with that. It's I mean, it's, well, I guess I do. Um, <laughs> the more vulnerable you are, the more you expose your true shell, shelf, self or shelf, whatever you choose to expose, the more you're willing to take on ridicule, judgment, just, I mean, it's exposure therapy. I mean, like it's just, you're, yeah. So I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's the more you're transparent, the more people can do whatever they want with that, that information. Yeah. Another big quote here. This is Prince Faisal mm. to Lawrence. Very late in the film. There's nothing further here for a warrior. We drive bargains, old men's work, 
Young men make wars, and the virtues of war are the virtues of young men, courage, and hope for the future. Then old men make the peace, and the vices of peace are the vices of old men, mistrust and caution. It must be so. So there's actually a lot of claim here. Yeah. So let's break it down into some, some component parts. Specifically, ageism. This category of age does this, and then this one does it. Like, I think that's the biggest thing I took away from just you reading it right now. Like, I don't think that, I wouldn't say that's true today. It's certainly not universally true. No. Maybe it was during this time, but I can't attest to the age of everyone that was making decisions back then. It's like, I can't, I don't know what the statistics are about that to fact check. But like, if you look at our government now, all the prominent people are old. And I would say they're just as war hungry as well, okay, oh, oh, okay, easy, Jeff. Like I would, like, no, 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 go, go, go. <laughs> but like, I just like, I would say that they are. Like, I would sometimes I would get that impression that they're they're more antagonistic versus defensionistic. Yeah. I made that word up. That's a definition, by the way. They're more inclined to war than peace, right? From my perspective, I would agree. Yeah, maybe um, I'm a libertarian. I'll make one of you yet. And every listener at home, I'm coming for you. Take over the world. So I can what are we going to do today, Pinky? The same thing we do every day. Try to make more libertarians. <laughs> Young men make wars. Agree or disagree? Yes, but old men also make wars. So I agree with it, but I also don't like I think every age makes war. Okay. Babies make war. I mean, like if you look kids in a daycare, they'll fight over a toy. You, you. I mean, I've never, I haven't spent much time in a nursing home. If there's one brownie left, I would assume that even geriatric people would fight for a brownie. Yeah, I would. Fast as they moved all week. That's right. <laughs> the virtues of war are courage and hope for the future. It's not a strict definition, but yeah, I mean, like the authentic reason for fighting for something is, well, no, like I don't fight because I'm courageous. What was that second part? Hope for the future. That one, yeah. Like, if, I, if I'm if i going to go up, up to bat for something, sports reference. I do love that. It's going to be because of something, whether it's my future or someone I care about's future. I don't think courage has anything to do with it because I'm going to do it whether I, I know I have a chance or not if there's something worth fighting for. That um, that's like the definition I mean, of courage, right? But but that's <laughs> but that's not the motivation. Okay, I'm not doing it because of that. That's just a natural outcome. I'm going to do it because of the hope for either my or someone else's future. So right now, I'm I'm working my way through Bob Murphy's book Choice. Mm. It is a more approachable modern version of Ludwig von Mises' book Human Action, which was a economic treatise and philosophy book Mm -hmm. and Mises makes the argument and Murphy kind of makes it uh, more easy to digest that anytime you engage in a purposeful action, it's because you believe that the result of your action will make your future better or put another way, hope for the future. If you didn't think it would make your future better, you wouldn't do it. You would just let things happen the way they're happening. Right. When Faisal says that this is a virtue of war, I mean, that's just a, a, fa- a nature of everything we do. 
we do things because we think that in doing them we'll make our situation better. I make a sandwich because I think that having the sandwich will be better than not having the sandwich. <laughs> right? I, lo- I love sandwich metaphors. <laughs> or, uh, you know, to, to, to do what we always do with ec- economics, make it about a lemonade stand. I buy a glass of lemonade because I think that the glass of lemonade will bring me more value than not having it or than having the money in my pocket. Right. So I, th- I think Faisal's really wrong here when he says that hope for the future is a virtue of war. Like if hope for the future is just like what people do. Right. Then later he says, old men make peace. Vices of peace are mistrust and caution. Do you think that mistrust and caution are vices of peace? Mistrust and caution. Yeah. I mean, mistrust for sure. I mean, I I would be hesitant to say the caution part. Caution is us is us going, not only protecting our own end or trying to stay out of danger, which is peace. You know, out of danger is peace. So like, I feel like caution sometimes. Like there are times where we're too cautious, but I wouldn't say that's the majority. Or maybe you disagree. I mean, it could be from my perspective. It could be, the, but the first part, yeah. Yeah, the caution part I would I would maybe remove, but And then I think it's interesting too that they they do this um poetic distinction of virtue and vice. You know, virtue are things that are good, things that we should aspire to. Right. And then vices are things that are immoral and that we should be embarrassed of. Mm-hmm. A virtue of courage and hope for the future. I mean, I don't think hope for the future is a virtue. I think it's just a, a Right. As I've already clarified, courage, I think, is a virtue. And then vices of mistrust and caution. Mistrust, I can see as a vice. Caution, I don't think, is a vice. Caution is a virtue. I I would agree with that. Yeah. So just like we can take things like tobacco, alcohol, sex, entertainment, social media, phones. We can take these things and pervert them into things that are now inappropriate versions of something that is natural, is pure, is innocent. So caution, I would agree with you, is a virtue. But caution can be perverted, can be misconstrued. Into mistrust. Over-manipulated into something that's incorrect. I'm probably not the first person to ever have this observation. Okay. All of the things that we listed as could be good things are constructive. They build society. Right. But when perverted, they become destructive. Hammers can also be both constructive and destructive. Yeah. Caution can be constructive, but when it becomes perverted, it becomes mistrust, which is destructive. I think caution is necessary for peace. Mistrust is not. I think mistrust brings war. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that's a great way to interpret that or like rephrase. Yeah. Digest. Yeah. I got one more quote that I really love. There's this movie. There's a lot of dialogue. A lot of dialogue. Yeah. But if you cut out all the non-dialogue parts, there's about an average amount of dialogue in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So true. There may be honor among thieves, but there is none in politicians. I just, I love that line. (laughs) Yeah. I, I I have no argument with that. With limited exception, I would agree with this statement. However, there are politicians who I think that have, that are honorable. 
mm-hmm. but they're they're few and far between. Right. Do you have quotes from this movie that you'd like to discuss? Honestly, I did. I didn't even get to quotes. I was looking up. I, I did, did not, not get, get to, to the, the dialogue, dialogue of this movie. movie. There was so many physical scenes and stuff. I do have some other stuff we can talk about. But like, but there was there was. I didn't even get to go into the script or looking up specific quotes and stuff. Um. So no, I did not. I do want to say because this keeps coming up in my notes and I keep looking at it. I want to. I just think it's fun. This is completely random. The actor, Omar Sheriff. Yeah. Played Sheriff Ali. Yeah. The character Sheriff Ali. Sharif. Sharif. But yeah, so I just, I just, I loved that. Cause you kept saying the name. I'm like, wait, you're talking about the, but it's the same person, the yeah. actor. And yeah. Anyways, unrelated. Another thing that I, I kind of came across, this is a bigger theme in this movie. This idea, idea of allegiance. allegiance. We saw Lawrence. There was never a point where he was immediately like against the British, but there were times where he was like, I, I, want to represent someone that's more than just where I came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But so, so there was... I mean, very early on. Right. In he, allegiance... He calls England a fat country of right. fat people. And allegiance can be very much going hand-in-hand with identity. Like, a part of our identity is who do we... What, who do we align ourselves? Criticism ourselves. of your own culture does not mean a hatred towards your Correct. own culture. Correct. That was something... I did want to separate it... From the identity aspect, but there is this, you know, like allegiance part and, and not so much just Lawrence with his allegiance to specific groups, but how specific groups react to other people and their allegiances to other groups. Mm-hmm. So, um, and even, even the photographer, you know, like he kind of came in with his allegiance was just the public eye. He wasn't brought on by the British government. He was just there to American or, government. American, right. So like, but even then it wasn't because of. It was just for the Chicago Tribune stands. Yeah. Ratings. Right. To our knowledge, the journalist was not there to find out what kind of man. Well, actually, now that I'm saying out loud, though, he was, he was sent there to find what kind of man Lawrence was. He's looking for a story. Yeah. And that's what Lawrence was set out to do. So, so yeah. So, I mean, so, but we see, we see multiple different allegiances in these different characters and stuff. And you see, I mean, even within the photographer, you see his allegiance kind of be questioned. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was the other big theme that I pulled out of this movie that I've just, I wanted to state there. I don't, I didn't, I don't have too much to add to it, but I definitely think that that's, that was, that is a bigger theme throughout this movie. Would you say real quick? And I, we, would you say this movie is anti-war? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of negative outcomes from these war depictations. But would you say it's a anti-war and non an anti-violence movie? No, I agree. I there wasn't enough specific commentary on those things. There I was think, some. I think it tries to have a nuanced opinion on war, mm-hmm. and in so doing, basically doesn't have a position on war. That's fair. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's yeah. That's pretty much all. That was that's most of my notes. Then you'd appreciate this, Nelson. And maybe you'll be offended after I tell you this fact. <laughs> IMDb, just I'm just going through some notes that I wanted to make sure it makes the episode. Or While shooting, Peter O'Toole and I.S. Johar riding together on a single camel, Sir David Lean saw that they had trouble staying on the animal. On closer inspection, a large block of hashish was discovered. Both actors were completely stoned. Shooting was abandoned for the whole day. <laughs> Uh, have you ever seen Animal House? No. I'm familiar with it. There's a scene in Animal House where all of their things are being moved out of the house. 
and they show up to find out that they're being moved out. Okay. John Belushi walks up. He's outraged that they're moving his stuff out. Piece of furniture being moved out. And on top is a bottle of Jim Beam or Jack Daniels or whatever. Mm. And he takes it and he drinks it. Now, the director insisted that it be iced tea, but John Belushi insisted, no, it has to be actually whiskey. This was the first shot of the day. He was so incredibly drunk after that they suspended film for the day. <laughs> John Belushi. But yeah, so that's pretty much it. That's all That's all I've got outside of our final wrap-up questions. Would you recommend this movie? I don't know that I would, to be honest. I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. guess I wouldn't. And this this one maybe, and I think I mentioned this back when we talked about um, It's a Wonderful Life, which I did change my opinion about after watching it a second time. And discussing it. Right. I don't get the hype about this. And I'm a little disappointed as someone who's striving to be a movie buff. I wouldn't say expert. I don't want to be an expert, but like I want to be someone who knows movies. I'm a little disappointed that I didn't like it. And it's a revered movie. I feel like, is there something wrong? You know, did I miss something that makes me not like this because it's so revered and so talked about and so prolific? I'm a little disappointed that I don't like it, but to that end, I don't like it. Yeah. It is what it is. Like, I, I did not enjoy it. And I don't think there's much in it that's worth watching. You know, I'm I'm going to add more to this question with the later questions because I do have opinions about it. Do you think this story could benefit from a modern retelling? You're 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 getting to my spoiler for the third question oh, here. Is there or is there are they working on one? I'll Google that, but my okay. So, let's real, bypass a quick yeah. segue. Would you change the rating? It's approved. No, I approve no, it. No, there's, yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> the violence is all shown off screen. All executions are shown off screen. Or if they're not, it's just a sword. Like there's no gore. And then the, there, there is blood depicted post. And yeah. I've seen, so no yeah, nudity. I, there's no nudity. There's very little language, if any. And it's none of the big ones. Not so even if it, language. yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. So I wouldn't change the rating either. All right. Has it aged well? And this is where I have some thoughts. No, I think I, I suspect that for its time, it is incredibly innovative, but that doesn't mean it's aged well. And I don't think it has. Mm -hmm. I suspect from other movies from its time, it's aged better, but you know, you've got, you've got Arabian men being played by British men that that's just like a political thing where like that hasn't aged well. Yeah. And then directorial choices that, you know, the if you made this movie today, it would be half the length and still all the same content. Yeah. So, no, I don't think it has aged well. No, I, I would agree with that. There's some cool shots, but the, the stuff that you take away after the four-hour view is minimal. Um, just after a quick Google, take it for what it is. It's Google, and I just, just as we're talking. So, there is a movie, or I don't know if it's a movie or if it's like a documentary style, but like, it's, it, there is a, there is a, something you can view called Lawrence after Arabia that was released in 2021. And it's a trilogy of sequel about how he went and fought aliens. Maybe there, it is more to the story, but I, again, I don't know. I don't know its connection to any, yeah. like if, if it's a direct sequel or if it's just a, and even if it's historically accurate, correct. Right. Yes. But there is something that came out in 2021 called Lawrence after Arabia. Look for yourself. And then if I scrolled a little bit further here, there's an article from August 6, 2018, and it says Michael Bay plotting Lawrence of Arabia remake. Huh. 
I have I did not open the article. It could be complete rubbish. Sure. But who's the, who's the source? The source is the Pan Arabia Inquirer. Never heard of it. Doesn't mean, doesn't so it came up in Google. I Googled Lawrence of Arabia remake. So yeah, okay. Um, but here's my thoughts. Here to answer the question, I love history. I think the desert's a cool setting. I think it's a demographic that I don't spend much time with outside of maybe watching Aladdin. Like I don't know much about Arabian. That, right. Like I would love to see this being remade. Yeah. Can you imagine if someone like um, the dude that's doing Dune? Because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of sand and stuff in Dune, so I just immediately picture some of those scenes. Mm-hmm. That type of cinematic... Yeah. The, like, I would love to see this remade. And I would I would go watch it. I'd be excited to see this story retold. I don't have any specific casting I would do, but, like, I would love to see this story retold. I think the interpretation that it is in currently is not great. I think I'd cast... <sighs> is this going to be real or is this going to be a joke? No. <laughs> That's I've got you right where I want you, Jeff. Can't tell him I'm both <laughs> making so a joke nervous. or not. I, I'm blanking on his name. Guy that plays Loki in the MCU. Oh, uh, Tom Hiddleston. I would cast him for T. E. Lawrence. Actually. Yeah. 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 He'd be great. Yeah, I think that would be a terrific film. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, as best as possible, Alex get Davis. get all the the Arabian casting to be actually Arabian. Yeah, uh, actors. I agree with that. Yeah, be- I mo- mostly because like we've talked about it in the past, actors can play characters that are different races and genders from themselves. I'm fine with that. I get it. But for the message it's trying to to give. Yeah, if you depending really on the, message, the culture, which I think is a big part of this movie, yeah. you should get as many people from that culture to be able to be involved as possible. Right. No, I I agree. So yeah, I don't, yeah, but I think we both agree it does not, has not aged well. Um, last question here. Would this be in your personal top 250? <laughs> no. No, not a chance. No, there's movies that I would recommend that aren't in my personal top 250. Yeah. Maybe the remake. If they ever remake it, the remake maybe would make it my top 250. The story's interesting. Yeah. There you have it. We did it. Four hour yeah. movie. And we discussed it in six hours. What are we doing next week? Join us next week when we are joined by... My friend, Stephen, for everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. You may be watching this right now. Or and, you uh, did just watch it. Or you'll watch it in the future. Something that I look forward to discussing next week. Time travel. Is that this movie is no longer in the top 250. Dun, dun, dun. Join us next week. Later. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you found value in what we discussed today, please consider leaving us a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have any feedback or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. That's right. Tell us why we're wrong. If you want even more content and ways to engage with us and each other, check out our Patreon. By supporting us there, you'll get access to exclusive bonus content and help us continue to create high-quality episodes, as well as help pay for our future plans. Links to our social media, merchandise, and Patreon are in the show notes.